for our sponsor, Dog Overboard Adamstown, the fun and healthy place for dogs. Pet Chat on your pet-friendly radio station, 2NURFM 103.7. Good afternoon. Yes, the team is back. Cheryl Shaw, Dr David Tabret, welcome to both of you. Were you enjoying my hand signals then when I was describing the weather? So you were watching the light show. I'm just wondering, have you had your missing roof replaced? <laughs> <laughs> We've got a beautiful big window. Have you? And we, yeah. You're very yeah. lucky. And we are just, you know, I loved it. We're, we're lucky where we live, aren't we? We are. Mm. Yeah, we most certainly are. And we've got some great pets in the Hunter as well. Oh, absolutely. Personally, speaking from my own dog. And mine. Well, that's, and a, good, that's a good we start. Love our, we love our animals, don't we? We certainly do. That's what we're here for. Cheryl, what are we chatting about today? We're going to be talking about fungi that are around at the moment. Ah, okay. Mm. And that you've got a cute little mushroom, mm, a little bit of magic today. mushroom happening there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh dear. and David, what are you discussing today? Uh, a little bit on uh, dogs that need airway surgery. This Touched a, on it last yeah, week. Yeah, a bit of a follow-on. Yeah, but I thought we'd get a little more practical this week. Brachycephalic. Brachycephalic. Pretty, pretty good. Well done. Thank yes. you. You got it. I did. Now, Cheryl, the rain has brought a few things, most certainly mosquitoes here at the university. Mm. Oh, they are filthy. But you're talking about, is it fungi? That's right, fungi. Fungi in in the gardens, in the lawns, you may see them popping up. Yeah, well, you're right, Sarah. The rain and high humidity is another thing that actually creates an ideal um, sort of growth rate for these fungi to um, pop up. Now, they pose a problem both to cats and dogs. Um, I've just recently been collecting them out of my yard and garden and Mm. I've got quite a big area, but I've come across some really unusual ones lately and they've been called stinkhorns. I don't know if anybody knows them, but they're really an odd-looking mushroom that's got a lot of red on them. They they look alien to me. They do. They look like an alien with all its legs splayed or or, or an octopus if you're looking, you know, at the octopus. Mm. Yeah, so I make sure that I collect anything that's in the yard just so my poodles don't, you know, sort of come across it and potentially eat them. So there's many different types of wild fungi out there but we've got to make sure that we keep our pets away from them. Now some dogs are attracted to them because they've got such incredible sense of smell some mushrooms give off different odours and um, there's some that give off like a smell of stinking meat or rotting meat and they're quite attractive to dogs so this is where you you wouldn't ordinarily see a dog eat something other than there's this odour so they're attracted to it. So Cats don't usually do this, but with problem with some problems with cats is that there's those little mushrooms that are like the powder puffs. When you touch them, they yes. explode, and they're sort of a little shape of a ball. Now, often cats will go around them. They might sniff them, but they'll often tap them with their paws, and when they do this, they burst. And those um, little spores that are in that powder puff mushroom or toadstool or fungi, they can be inhaled by the cat or the dog and go into their lungs, so they're potentially problem for those as well. Now if you know that your dog or cat has eaten something and has become unwell get to your vet as early as possible because it's really important to be able to treat these pets quickly and their survival really depends on that. And a bit of advice is that if you can take along what you suspect the cat or dog has eaten or been playing with so you know if if it's the stem if it's the gills of the mushroom whatever you can take along the cap it could help to identify what it was Mm. Do you see many of this sort of thing, David? I wouldn't say it's very common. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably missed more than we see it. Yes. But I certainly have seen dogs that have um, 
been poisoned by mushroom ingestion yeah. and they end up with liver failure. So liver, kidney and neurological, is that sort of the, the sort of yeah, way these toxins affect the animals? So some of them may present with gastrointestinal upset. Right. Some will go on to develop liver failure, which is uh, and can be fatal. Uh, some are hallucinogenic. So we're not always sure when the dog comes in exactly what we're going to see or what's going to happen. Mm. Um, and you're correct. Any time that's suspected, I think best thing is the owners to get their pet to the vet as quickly as possible and take along the um, mushroom or whatever it is that that little sample just so that they can see what, abs- what it is absolutely yeah preferably don't mash it up because sometimes <laughs> people have brought them in and they go oh grab this and it's you know but now it's all fallen apart or whatever or take a photo before you try to that's actually yeah, you try a photo. To grab it. yeah 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 i've got a great photo of the one that was in my garden but it's really important just to if you can to make sure that you're you know taking them away from your yard making sure that there's none there so that's not that temptation for your pet but you know please be careful there's a lot <clears throat> popping up Mm. Something yeah. to be aware of. Four nine two one six two one six. Hello, George in Warrabrook. Have you got a question about your dog? Sure do. Got a Maltese. He turns fifteen next month. Um, a couple of nights this week, he's woke us up screaming. He's really good as regards. You know, he always go outside of the toilet. Never, ne- he's never piddled inside, but he's piddled himself both times. And it sounds like you got your hands around his throat trying to strangle him, Aww. but it's happened between one and two both you know like he's been asleep for probably mm, three or four hours maybe but it's always between say the last it's only happened twice but it's between one and two and um i'm just and i'm going away on holidays tomorrow so i'm and we've got someone to house it and who's going to look after him but i don't know he's just he's just Mm. all of a sudden started doing it and it's a bit of a bit of a worry because he's a you know like he's part of the family mm. and i just yeah so what do you reckon <laughs> so george is um how long does this screaming happen for like is it stopping pretty quickly yes like i'm out of bed yes um out of bed and by the time i've got to him he he's just laying there but he's piddled himself both oh. times okay and um he's conscious and aware of you when you find him yeah. yeah, he's a bit lethargic, but other than that, fine. Mm. So a couple of things I was thinking about this. One would be possibility that he's had a seizure and they could certainly vocalise and lose control of the bladder. Um, and a lot of the time these, for the first time, they will occur at night when your dog's asleep. So that's, yeah. that's one possibility. Um, the other thing we do see with some of these smaller dogs is that they can get instability in the neck, in the vertebra of their spine, and that can cause incredible pain. Um, and it can be very transient um, because, um, you know... You mean like breaks. scratching, like he, he's got a bit of carpet in the bottom of his bed to make sure that, you know, to, I just put extra stuff in the bed. And lately he's been scratching the hell out of it. Uh, it's just that what we do see is some of these dogs can get, it's more very internal. In the the bones can get this problem we call a um, subluxation where the, the neck bones, the ligaments, or there's different reasons why it can happen. Uh, the ligaments might be a little bit looser and so the neck bones can actually come out of alignment and that can put pressure on nerves and then it can go back into alignment very quickly. 
So it's a bit difficult to say, obviously, just over the radio, but both those kind of possibilities are pretty significant um, and I certainly would think worth having your dog checked uh, by a vet to make sure that, A, there's no neck problems or that we don't have any other um, signs related to possible seizures or, indeed, any other cause that um, could be presenting with the way you've described yeah, I mean, he's, he's for a fifteen, you know, like for a fifteen-year-old, he's pretty sprightly, and he's got a really good appetite. Well, that, that's uh, that's what we want to hear. Obviously, we want him to stay well and healthy, but this could be a signal there's something going on. And certainly, it's not like he's uh, jumping off the lounge and screamed, and you know, that's what's happened. If it's just happened when he's lying in bed, then I think yeah. I'd be a little bit worried about what's going on with his neck, what's going on with his brain. Um, and those yeah. two things were the ones that I'd be focusing on to start with. So best David, to get can, a checkup. Can I think. you test for seizures if you think a dog's had one and you take them to the vet to get a checkup? Can you? It's, is there a it, test for that? No, or not? Not a test that would say, "Oh yes, that's what he." Yeah. Well, that's what happened. Um, so a lot of the time, this is a really important question because people come in and they say, "Well, this happened," and as they describe it to you. I say, well, you know, did he collapse? Did he tremor? Did, was he paddling? Did he lose consciousness? They lose control of their bladder can often mean that there's that kind of paralysis effect mm. that comes through with a seizure. And so there's a loss of control. But that doesn't mean that that's exactly what it is. One of the things we were just talking about, taking photographs of, you know, the fungi mushrooms. Yeah. So... It's hard for people, but I do say, look, if they do this again, could vid- video your dog. Yeah, right. And if there's time, if you can. Right. And it's not usually the thing people think, oh, you know, what's going on? And then they go, you know what? I better get a video. We don't often think that, but it makes a huge difference because we have to uh, differentiate between a dog that's had a seizure, a dog that's had tremor, a dog that could have um, a condition called syncope, which is kind of like fainting where there's not enough blood flow to the brain. And so then we're thinking, you know, is it chest-related? Is it heart-related? Okay. They can look very similar. So, yeah, unfortunately, I think video is the best test, but often hard to get. All right, some really interesting stuff there. George, good luck with your 15-year-old Maltese. 49216216 is our number. We've got Jason uh, from Head & Greeter. You've got a question for David about your dog. I have. Good morning. How are you? G'day, Jason. How can we help? Um, I've got two Cavaliers. Um, one's about 12 months old, which is a bit of the problem dog. I've got a little bit older Cavalier. They're both females, but the youngest one um, tends to eat her own feces. Um, I don't know how to stop it doing it. Um, is there any advice you can give me? It's sort of driving us a bit nuts at the moment. Yeah, understandably, because <laughs> little dogs, we often think, oh, we'll just have them on the lounge or pick them up and so on, and you really wouldn't want to yeah. encounter that uh, that odour. Um, look, dogs will do this in... It is a normal behaviour yeah. to some extent, but we do see it under different circumstances. Now, one thing a lot of people talk about is whether it's related to a dietary deficiency. And yeah. that is less common, I think, than we probably would normally or in the past give credence to. Um, may, a couple of reasons. One is just because I don't think dogs actually do seek necessarily the nutritional deficits through 
eating faeces, but also the foods that we have available for dogs now are generally well-balanced. Um, and so the true incidence of mineral deficiencies and things like that is really, really rare. Yeah. Um, so it often then comes down to behaviour. And um, when dogs do this, obviously, as I said, it's a normal behaviour to keep an area clean and so on. So it's kind of like protective of their environment. But then once the dog does it, if they decide that it's actually they don't mind doing it, then they'll establish this habit. So um, with most behaviour... I've got one. Yeah. Yeah, The youngest one does it, the older one doesn't do it. And uh, we just, um, my partner and I just thought it was odd that um, she does it. Well, it's... Older dogs probably worked out, you know what, it's not that nice. Um, Yeah. But the... Like any other behaviour problem, there's a couple of approaches that really are general and work for a lot of lot of problems. So one is distraction, um, is that if you notice your dog doing it, is that you yeah. give them a way to distract. Now, in some circles, people have talked about using throw chains, which uh, you put next to the dog, but there are better ways, or even spraying with water bottles and things like that. But really all it takes is you call them. Yeah, well, I've, I've had a few incidents where I've actually caught her in the backyard doing it. I call out to her and she drops it out of her mouth and she has this, like, shameful look on her face and walks away with a tail in between her legs. Like, she knows what she's doing is, yes. is wrong, but she can't help herself. Well, she can pick up on your tone. That's what she's reacting to. She's not reacting to her activity. She's reacting to your tone. Right. And so what you want to do is actually call her over with a really pleasant tone and give her a food treat once she comes to you. Okay. Okay. Now, the second thing is you need to pick up the dog poo. Yeah, we, it's, a, it's a daily, it's a daily yeah. event, but when we get home from work some days, there's, yeah, there's two in the yard, so yes. someone gets one away, if you know what I mean, and, yeah. and she ends up eating it. Yeah. You've got to keep on top of that, and it sounds like you're doing a great job with that, but it does certainly, the faster you can do that, the better. And then right. the, th- the third thing is let's give her an alternative, so activity, so when you're not there. So we get, you know, the Kongs. Um, you can f- pack them full of uh, uh, do- dry dog food, maybe some oh, yeah. um, yep. mints or, or any sort of wet food, wrap it up in plastic, put it in the freezer overnight, get it out in the morning. When you leave the house, you give her that. She'll spend all day on it and oh. won't even look at uh, going to eat any dog poo. And by the- Then you get home, you can clean up, and everybody's happier. Right, okay, I'll give that a go and see how we go. All right. Good on you, Jason. I might have to send Max. Pleasant. That's my son, not the dog over, and he can poop a scoop for you. That's what kids are for, isn't it? Yeah. Pick up the poop. Yeah. Dr. David Tabret is here to uh, mm. help you as best he can. Now, today we're talking uh, about airway surgery on our pets. Yeah. So last week I kind of raised this subject of dog confirmation and changing climate and how dogs are coping and so on. That is not a new issue. You know, I think there are perennial questions there with uh, different breeds and so on. Um, So I wanted to kind of bring it back to something a little more pragmatic and what, you know, how does this all show up day to day? Sure. One of the things that we have seen is probably increasing, not because the problems are increasing in severity in dogs, but it's more because the popularity of breeds is increasing. So we are seeing trends towards uh, brachycephalic dogs, which are, you know, with the pushed-in noses. And what that brings, not all dogs in these breeds, but some 
will have breathing problems. They will have airway problems. And it was interesting. I was talking to a client the other day, totally unrelated, and then they, I said, you know, does your dog snore? And they, oh, yeah, he snores louder than, you know, my wife and whatever. <laughs> um, and I thought we've kind of normalised what, yeah. you know, with dogs. And, you know, some of it's tolerable. So, but some of these dogs, are, when they're snoring, if they're snoring when they're awake, that's a problem because you're not actually getting airflow through. Snoring means that their soft palate is vibrating and turbulent. And so it actually makes it hard for these dogs to do any sort of exercise. Um, and certainly when the weather changes and we get very hot, uh, prolonged weather, we, we find they really do suffer. And, of course, dogs, as we know, don't lose heat through the skin like we do. They lose heat by panting. And if you already have uh, swollen and, and congested airways, then when it gets hot and you start panting, that creates more problems. So to get around that, what we have to do is oftentimes with these dogs is do some surgery to help them breathe. And there's a number of different steps. I was saying, Cheryl, before that, um, and you've probably seen, although a lot of these dogs are short hair, so I don't know how many come through your grooming parlours. Oh, we have a lot of short hair, David, because they're losing hair all the time, Uh, so they need to be de-shedded. Yes, Otherwise, and it's look all up, over the house. And you're not just about hair coats, you're also about skin care. That's right. Mm. So what we find is that um, uh, when these dogs come in, we're assessing them for their airways. And even as of, at a very young age, uh, and these decisions are made with your veterinarian or with a you know surgeon to look at these dogs, sometimes all we need to do is actually make their noses a little bit wider. So we, we do a rhinoplasty on them. We actually open up their airways and they start breathing. And you know what? That often fixes uh, Mm. problems further down. Now, not to get too technical, that's all to do with airflow and pressure dynamics and so on in the airway. But it's interesting how a small procedure just in their nostrils can actually help. So it's obviously a fairly safe procedure for our dogs to undertake? Generally, with these guys, if all we're doing is their nostrils, yes. However... Most of them need other procedures. Mm. So we might have to do a soft palate resection. So this is because their soft palate is long. We just don't do that because, oh, well, he's snoring. We don't want the soft palate to vibrate. It serves a very, very important function, separating the nasal passage and the uh, oral cavity. But if some of these dogs, it's quite long and it's sitting over the airway. And so we actually need to operate and, and trim that back. That can carry a few risks for sure. Most of the time these days, particularly with some uh, advanced um, tools, we find that surgery goes reasonably well. Um, But we're also worried about post-operatively things like bleeding um, and obviously swelling. So, David, it's obviously a discussion you have with your vet as to whether um, the the risk of the current, you know, what they're currently going through outweighs the procedure and surgery and what's best. Yeah. The um, that interesting part of that conversation is I think it's better to have that early before you get to that stage because otherwise it's like, well, we don't have a choice here with what, you know, we do. We have to do the nostrils, we've got to do the soft palate and then we've got to do this other procedure in the larynx. Um, and so sometimes those dogs, it is worth planning it out and saying, you know what, maybe these nostrils need doing at an earlier age sure, so that we don't get into other problems later on. 
but certainly some of them you are going to have uh, more than one surgery to get through this problem. Um, and just finally, the other part of that is that whilst uh, a lot of these surgeries go quite well and their recoveries are good, and look, afterwards the dogs breathe so much better, they sleep better, they've got more energy, but some of these dogs post-operatively, they certainly do need to be managed very, very carefully. Mm. It is high-risk period after the surgery. That's probably the most dangerous part. And so I was just saying before, we actually get referred to us uh, to our intensive care unit dogs for post-operative monitoring okay possibly about one or two a week wow yeah so you know and we're happy to make sure that we can get nurse them through and get them back but just a fair warning to people i think that um that's part of the kind of landscape for these breeds now david i've got a question Mm. for you it's been in the back of my mind for a while now can dogs get night terrors like humans you know Really bad where, dreams where they're, oh. they're, you know, they're having an awful dream because Gizzy will often, you know, do the little <laughs> in, in his sleep yes. and it gets worse and worse. So I always think he's dreaming about a wolf or something trying to eat him. So I put my hand on the back. It's okay, Gizzy, give him a little, you know, mummy's here. But my husband says, don't wake him up. And I say, well, he's having a nightmare. Of course I'm going to wake him up. The, sh- the short answer is we don't know. Okay. okay. However, we do know dogs dream because they do experience rapid eye movement sleep. Uh, And that's in humans, that's when our dreaming occurs and so on. Interestingly, what you're saying about the movement, like sometimes I'll see, my dog used to paddle her feet. Oh, okay. Like she was running. She's doing the treading water or something. Okay, Mm. yeah. Um, And sometimes make the noises, as you say. But what's actually happening is that the parts of the brain that control movement are kind of like resetting and just firing off, okay, Um, But that is separated from consciousness, so they're doing it in their sleep. Um, But you're just getting a bit of leakage of the nerve signal from those parts of the brain into the parts that control Uh, the muscle. Okay, so that's the little noises you hear. It's actually that rather than dreaming. Yeah, look, it probably goes along with it, but I don't think there's a correlation between making a a yelping noise means I'm about to get eaten by a wolf. (laughs) Mummy to the rescue. So we shouldn't be waking our pets up. Isn't that, you know, sometimes science is fascinating and sometimes you go, oh, you've taken all the mystery out of it. It's such a, yeah, it's such a human behaviour to put on your pet to go, oh, you're clearly having a bad dream. It's all right, I'm here. Because that's, we do treat them like babies though. Of course. He's my first, first child. (laughs) <laughs> okay, all right, that's interesting. No, I, so they're just, just nerves firing off, resetting. You don't have to wake, wake Gizmo. All right, Sean, you win this one. I'll leave him alone from now on. Let's go to the phones. Maria in Rankin Park, you've got a question about your daughter's dog. Yes, I have. She keeps chewing the windowsills, the legs of the chairs. She's about 10 months old, uh, border collie. Okay. Um, now, is... When is she doing this, Maria? Is it oh, in during... the middle of the night, in right. the middle of the day? She's got a doggy door that she can come in and out of, and, and there's no she... one home during the day. Yeah. So particularly border collies do suffer from anxiety, and the middle of the night one's interesting, but the middle of the day one, the chewing furniture and stuff is what we see with a lot of dogs that have got uh, separation anxiety. Um, and this can be very concerning, and certainly at that age and in female dogs. So we've got breed, uh, sex of the dog, and age of the dog are all risk factors for development of separation right. anxiety. 
and it's something we need to take very, very seriously. Um, okay, the, so what do we do? Do we take it to our local vet and get them to treat her or what do we do? That would be my first line because uh, the treatment for this problems are quite prolonged, so it can take months. Um, and I'm not saying months before you see a change, but these are habits and you need to treat the anxiety and then re-establish new habits. Um, and sometimes the anxiety we can treat with either behaviour modification, sometimes we use drug therapy to actually help the behaviour modification be effective, and um, some dogs end up having to stay on medication for a long period of time. So I'd certainly, yeah, go see your vet about this because it's... The reason why I say that is I remember a dog years ago that was very, very similar. Now, it wasn't a... It was a Doberman up at Brankston, I'll never forget this. And it kind of started exactly the way your daughter's dog is behaving. And over a period of months, it got to the stage where he was chewing curtains off, chewing doors, and then actually ran through a plate glass window. Oh, okay. Because of the anxiety just built and built and built and built and built. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that's why I'm saying, yeah, take this seriously. Um, It's not just the issue of the furniture. It's... The anxiety means, you know, that's a like a pain inside your dog's head, inside its psyche that's uh, not healthy. And that can be treated, you know. That, you can have things, uh, as I said, medication um, and various types of behaviour modification that can actually help help her out. So do you think we should take her to doggy daycare or something one day a week? Just to, and she doesn't... She's scared of other dogs. Yeah. Well, look, it's it's never one thing. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to say don't do that, but I think you need to do it as part of your treatment plan. Mm-hmm. So, as I said, that's going to involve um, medication and a, and a full physical assessment of your dog beforehand, by the way, too. But, yep. you know, medication, behaviour modification and possibly some socialisation as well would be a good idea because what that does is it minimises the kind of the separation events that your dog's having but at the same token if your dog is not actually set up to do that properly and you don't introduce socialization properly that's another anxiety yeah so. we try to so there's a border collie across the road and my daughter tries to socialize um olive with the dog across the road but olive just cowers behind my daughter yes <laughs> yeah yeah it's a it's not a it's not one thing it's going to be everything and it needs to be organised in a in a whole treatment plan approach. Okay. So yeah, and there are there are vets, and certainly, you know, once you get to that stage with uh, dog trainers and so on, but vet behaviourists really look after setting this up, where they will guide you through the various steps. So, so David, what do you say to people that go, dogs get anxiety? You know, that's silly. As if our dogs get anxiety or depression. What's your response to that as a vet? Well, we used to say that about people. That's a good reply. Or we used to lock people away, Hmm. you know, and just say, ah, you know, clearly we can't do anything. And we, we, it's like that thing about science, right? We know so much more about the science and yet we know so little about brains and brain function. This is the great mystery that uh, as we learn, we see a lot of similarities. But these, I'm not talking about just transferring what we know about people onto dogs. This is stuff that we know about dogs. And we know that, how, for instance, if we use an antidepressant in a dog 
and its behaviour changes, and we know how the drug works, we know exactly how it works, you know, what chemicals in the brain, what yeah, you can test neurochemicals, the chemicals what- serotonin levels, dopamine levels, etc. We know exactly how it works, and we give it to a dog and its behaviour improves. So does that mean that the dog had the condition, the disease condition that we were, you know, presuming that it had? Mm. Yeah. And what you've said before in the past as well, David, is that you, you obviously you're treating them with medication, but you use that to then be able to retrain. So yeah. you're doing both. It's Abs- not just here's some drugs you fixed. It's it's lowering that anxiety so then you can help it retrain. Yeah. And I think the other part of that is that there's kind of like this aversion to saying, oh, I don't want to put them on medication. Why not? Yeah. You know, if it, if your dog has a bacterial infection, we give them antibiotics. Sure, they might recover on their own but they recover better with antibiotics and it's the same with mental disease for dogs. Great advice as always. Cheryl Shaw, Dr David Tabrett, thank you both so much. Pet Chat, it will be back same time next week. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.